0: Welcome, welcome to, to AP. AP Psych!
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> Hello and welcome back to reviewing for psychology.
1: Yes, we are in Unit 5 memory or cognition, I guess, but we're going to start with memory. Starting with memory. Uh, which is where we started this unit before break. So if you don't remember anything about memory, join the club. It's been a while for us too. Um, So this is going to be a nice little review for all of us. Yeah.
0: So there are two main kinds of memory, retrospective and prospective. And the difference here, prospective is remembering to perform actions in the future so this is like thinking about what you're, what you need to do after school, remembering what homework you have to do, uh, and what you need to study. Whereas just retrospective is remembering past events. So that's like previously learned skills and information. Remembering what you had for breakfast this morning or what you wore last
1: Friday. Yeah, exactly. And um, so there's a few different or other things that we talked about with memory, especially how memory is influenced. Um, Our memory can be influenced by a lot of different things, including like our biases, our beliefs, um, and emotions and things like that. So there's a whole list of things um, that we don't really have to memorize, but it's important to know that memory can be affected and altered.
0: Right, which is these things are why two people can experience the exact same event and remember it completely different.
1: Exactly. Um, so let us go down to do we want to talk about that? Should we start here? Yes. Okay, cool. I think this is like the most important part of memory. Yep. Um we break memory up into three parts encoding, storing, and retrieving. Now, we should be masters at this by the time we're done because we have our comic book or comic strip project. Um, But encoding is really just like learning something, getting information into our brain, storing it is retaining that information and then retrieving it is getting information out later and using it. So they all sound pretty simple and they are, but there are some vocabulary terms that kind of go along with each of them.
0: Right. And the overall title of this is the information processing model. That becomes particularly important because we have another thing associated with memory that's three parts we need to be able to distinguish. So this is the information processing model. And you really think about the words in that title, it it makes sense that yeah. this is how we're processing information. Exactly.
1: Exactly. So, let's start with encoding. There is two different types of encoding. So if you're kind of thinking about this in like a mind map or even an outline, under encoding is going to go automatic and effortful encoding. Automatic is, you guessed it, <laughs> done automatically without any awareness. Um, it's not conscious. like so You just kind of do it. Um, and it's also parallel processing. So you can process a lot of different pieces of information all together at once. Yep. Now, effortful encoding is or processing requires more conscious effort so you have to put effort into effortful encoding and that's usually what we do when we're learning or memorizing something this needs a lot of rehearsal a lot of practice and effortful encoding you need to rehearse it so that it can be retained longer So that's why we tell you so many reasons why we tell them. So many reasons. So many reasons to practice, study over time and not cram it all into one day. Like hopefully you're not doing right now. (laughs) Right. So, the very next topic
0: in the slides is about this the spacing effect or distributed practice. It's almost like we know what we're talking about I know, here. Crazy. Who would have thought? <laughs> Who would have thought? Uh, so, that's the effortful encoding stretch over time. That's the longer time encoding, the longer retention you have. And this is what Ebbinghaus' model did, or his forgetting curve. And this showed us that the longer people practice on the first day, the more they could remember on day two and continue to keep remembering. But as that time practicing or rehearsing went down, then they um, remembered less and less and less. So that's knowing Ebbinghaus um, and his forgetting curve is the most important part here. Uh, And if you think about it in terms of Mrs. Navidad and I telling you uh, to distribute your practice and effortful encoding over time being more effective, you'll have that right off the bat.
1: Exactly. Um, so some related terms with effortful encoding include the serial position effect, um, which is recalling something first, or le- if you're looking at a list of things, recalling the first and last bits of information, The primary effect is if you're looking at a list of things, remembering the earlier information. And then recency effect is remembering that later information in a list. Um, You might see those kinds of things on either our exam or the end of the year exam. So make sure that you're not just skipping over little nuggets like that, that's important.
0: Right. So again, we're getting, we're going back to our three pieces that have to do with memory and encoding. So with encoding, there are three different ways that we uh, process information. One of them is encoding its meaning, or that's the semantic, uh, visualizing it, and mentally organizing it. So the first one, as semantic, um, is when we're encoding information. Uh, and this was like the story that we asked you to respond, asked you to repeat after we had like half the class. It's also when you tell a story of like what happened with a friend, you don't need literal word for word, what they said, but as long as you understand the general meaning, you can retell it. And that's because you understand the information. You understood the point of what they were trying to say. So you semantically encoded that
1: meaning. Exactly. Um, And our schemas can help influence our memories. Going back to that story that we told you on this first day of this unit, Um, if you're thinking about the story, just to summarize, it was getting in a car accident after driving at Christmas or like after Christmas. Um, Here in the Northern Hemisphere, Christmas is during the winter and it's cold outside and it might even be snowing. Whereas if you were in Australia or anywhere in the Southern Hemisphere, that time of year is summertime. So when you're thinking about that story here in the Northern Hemisphere, you might be thinking like, oh, they probably got into an accident because it snowed. Whereas if you're in the Southern Hemisphere, you're thinking like, oh, maybe a kangaroo jumped out of their car. I don't know. <laughs> Anything could happen. It's Australia. Um, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know what goes on down there. <laughs> there, <laughs> anyway. <laughs> anyway, so <laughs> that's the <a> schema influence. <laughs>
0: Another way that we encode things is visualizing or by images. So making mental pictures of it. That's easier to encode and process and images of something compared to just the words or concepts. And remember, we talked about this with, um, like, it's easier to imagine or remember concrete things and, like, definite things than it is to remember, like, abstract concepts. So, for instance, the difference between um, remembering moose and remembering process. Because moose is something that you can visualize in your head. Process, you maybe don't have a specific thing that you can visualize for that. Or void is another one um, that's abstract that you might not have
1: a perfect picture for. Yeah, exactly. Um, this is the strongest way to encode something, both semantically and visually. Um, having both of those side by side to help you encode something or to learn something. Um, mental aids are also very helpful when you're using visual and semantic encoding so things like mnemonic devices um those are always really helpful Mm -hmm. um and are very beneficial so try using some mnemonic devices to help you remember things always good um And the third one is mentally organizing information for encoding. So this can be used as chunking um, or by chunking. So if you're being asked to go to the grocery store and you have a whole list of things, but they're not written down of what you need to get, you can chunk the list into like produce and bakery items and, condiments or other grocery items um so chunking that information we're chunking this unit for you and breaking it up into basically three parts memory forgetting and intelligence so Mm -hmm. that's another way that you can chunk information um and yeah that's really
0: so that's pretty much the first day yeah Let me just make sure. And we are going to take a quick break and we'll be back with more memory. Mm
1: -hmm. Okay, and we're back with some more memory so we're going to go into our day two slides and we have talked about encoding so let's get into storage Ooh. Ooh.
0: so storage again is split into three parts but these are three stages mm-hmm. and it's the atkinson shiffrin model
1: yes okay so we're going to break it into sensory memory short-term memory and long-term Memory, so sensory memory. We have some senses that take in these memories. Um, the first sense is going to be our vision. And then the second one is our ears or auditory. So iconic memory. Is that how we say it? Uh-huh. i just being sure. <laughs> I don't know, you never know. Um, but iconic memory is fleeting visual memory. This only lasts for like a half a second. It's super quick. And then it's replaced by the next image. It's kind of like that stroboscopic effect, that like fast moving picture effect. Um, And that kind of explains how motion pictures work. But iconic memory starts with an I. The word I sounds like I. So that's Uh, how you remember that. Yeah, see, that was a good one. came up with it on the spot when I was talking about it. I liked it. So hopefully that sticks for you. Um, And then our other one, do you want to talk about? Yeah, Echoic memory. did you say I e- did. Echoic, echoic, yeah.
0: Echoic memory., uh, it's the sensory memory of auditory stimuli. So this is your sound. This is hearing. This lasts about three or four seconds. So this is when we're presenting in class, we're talking. you can hear and like keep track of what we've just said for about three or four seconds. And that's why, you know, my class is probably tired of me saying this. That's why I tell you to take notes mm-hmm. because otherwise, that information, even if you think, oh, yeah, I have that locked away, it's really only lasting three to four seconds.
1: Exactly. Um, a way that I like to remember that it looks like echo, and you mm-hmm. hear echoes. Also, ear starts with an E, but I also just do them. It's confusing. But you hear yeah. echoes. So, so I remember it.
0: I definitely thought echo. So, second stage is short term memory. This is your active memory and it holds few items briefly. So, the duration um, is three to 10 seconds, maybe 20 seconds maximum. But it's long enough, your information can stay in short term memory long enough to decide if it's important enough. So, if when you decide it is important, then it will be effortfully encoded and go to your long term memory. If you decide it's not important, then it decays very quickly.
1: Mm -hmm. And when we, oh, I'm sorry, we're still in short-term memory. Um, Our capacity in short-term memory is limited. And um, that's why, I mean, there's a few different, we, We talked about George Miller briefly in class and his magic number seven, Um, but numbers are easier to hold in your short-term memory. Um, Like that's how we remember zip codes and we can encode those easier. Um, And we can, as our adult brains, well, our adult brains, maybe not so much your young (laughs) adult brains, um, but it can be estimated that an adult brain can store about a billion bits of information um but a lot basically a I lot mean, is what i'm trying to say <laughs> yeah
0: we have a ton of information yeah so how do we get everything out of that information the long term information basically or the long term memory sorry basically all we know is that long term storage has limitless capacity so you're never going to be able to say Sorry, I can't learn this anymore. My brain's full. Uh, you have limitless capacity there.
1: No excuses here.
0: Exactly. We've got two types of long term memory. The first, so again, if you're looking at like a flow chart of it, you could have a section for sensory that's then split up into iconic and echoic. You could have short term, and then long term again is going to be split into implicit or procedural memory. And the other one
1: is explicit or declarative memory. Yeah, implicit or procedural memory is those like motor and cognitive skills that we all have that you really don't have to think about doing. Um, So they're conditioned or things that you were conditioned to learn without any conscious recall, you can always do them. And these are things like walking, um, you know, eating for the most part, unless you're learning to eat something new, that might be complicated, but you know, like eating in general, yeah, fine or large motor skills. And what's the other, not fine motor skills, but motor skills, just motor in skills. Walk, I already said walking, um, brushing your teeth things like that. Like you've already learned how to do it. You don't have to think about it. Like you're not going to go get ready for bed tonight and think like, Oh, I forget how to brush my teeth. (laughs) And if you do, um, then I don't know how to help you honestly, but anyway, (laughs) (laughs) but anyway, so this memory is stored. Your implicit memory is stored in the cerebellum and basal, basal ganglia of your brain. Um, so I don't know how you can remember that, but it is important to remember.
0: And then the other kind of long-term memory, that explicit or declarative memory, are your facts and experiences. So you need conscious recall to get these explicit or declarative memories, and they are stored in your hippocampus. Maybe you have a really great experience with hippos, and that's how you can remember. I feel
1: like you can never have a great experience with hippos. They're terrifying. I'm just uh, But it's a good way maybe, to remember Maybe
0: a good day at the zoo. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, you don't like the zoo. I don't like the zoo. That's the, the problem. <laughs> that's why you wouldn't have a good experience. But
1: that's why we had the picture of a hippo in class if you didn't catch that the first time. <laughs> and that's why. But it should be an easy way to remember it because a hippo, hippocampus.
0: Yeah. So then we're breaking down our flow chart even farther because explicit has two types that's semantic and episodic
1: yep semantic is like quick facts like if you know all 50 states Mm -hmm. and then episodic is more personal experiences so kind of like an episode of your life right i know i'm coming out with all the good ones (laughs) all of the good ones so it's like like the episode of your life that's episodic awesome Or they're also known as flashbulb memories that's really important because i think a lot of us kind of skipped over that and we didn't think that that was a vocabulary term flashbulb memories are really important there's a those things that like you'll never forget they have a really strong emotional attachment mm-hmm. to you and you'll remember it usually for like the rest of your life
0: right working memory is the memory you're working with Obviously, that's what we're actively processing and using like new information that we get and the information we already have in long term memory. So you're putting together information. The retrieval process, um, so this is after everything has been encoded, stored, and we're trying to retrie- retrieve it. Um, Okay, so it's similar to looking for something in a file uh, and you're going back to get that information that's already been restored. There are usually many ways to retrieve the information, many different files that you could put it in. So you just want to find when you're retrieving information, you're often looking for that fastest way to get to the information that you wanted.
1: Exactly. Um, I know that a lot of you probably don't use a filing cabinet often, but you could think about it like your Google Drive folder. Right, like you have if you put something like in a lot of specific folders, the more folders that you're using in order to get to a specific place is kind of like recall. The more, um, the more ways that you can recall information that you've learned, the better because it's more likely you're going to be able to find it because it's organized really well,
0: right? Yeah. So there are two types of retrieval, and this is recall and recognition. So for recall, remember, this is the ability to retrieve information, not in conscious memory. Recall is like our fill in the blank questions or FRQs. You do not have a ton of information that's helping your retrieval cues or to prime you to those associations. It's coming up with this information out of thin air Mm -hmm. basically
1: And then recognition is going to be like multiple choice questions. You're able to identify items that are previously learned. Um, there are some retrieval cues, for example, with multiple choice question, the answer is literally right in front of you. So that would be a retrieval cue, the question can help you retrieve the answer as well, to prime and awaken that association or really to like lay that foundation to help you get to the right answer.
0: You can recognize yes look at you go In recognition <laughs> because you recognize the correct answer because yep. it's on the page for you instead of you having to come up with it yeah. um, so we remember more than we can recall so with that rec- uh, recognition that helps us to be able to um, remember more things and use more of our information
1: Sorry, we're just trying to make sure that we're covering everything. Yeah. Um, I think maybe we can talk about priming because um, we just mentioned that word. Priming is really just kind of like laying a foundation to help start that memory. Does that make sense? I don't know how else to describe it. Um,
0: yeah, I think of priming as kind of like what was happening before you were asked to retrieve or recall something. Yeah. So what are you going to be, what are you already thinking about? Mm -hmm. Um, Especially when we use words like in English, like hair. Mm -hmm. Well, if we've been talking about taking a shower, you would think H-A-I-R because you were primed with a shower. But if we were talking about animals we saw on a farm, you might think H-A-R-E. Right. Because you were primed
1: to think, that way right yeah yeah i think that's a good way of describing um there are a lot of different retrieval cues that you can use ways to help you recall that information mnemonic devices would be one um words events pictures like the hippopotamus for the hippocampus (laughs) um and it's really important that they're all in the same context so like a context effect is um being in the same context as when the memory was encoded um so actually these are probably pretty important we should probably talk about some of these yeah um so a type of retrieval cue that context effect um so for example you all probably sit in the same seat every time you go to class so sitting in that same seat when you go to take a test is like a context effect like you think that you're going to do better and sometimes you do do better because you're sitting in that same seat um, where you learned that information so it's all in context to where you're like sitting and where you learned it
0: another thing we talked about is state dependent memory and these are the last three slides on our day two Mm -hmm. And I highly recommend that you look over these because state dependent memory, mood congruent and mood dependent are very easy to get mixed up. Mm -hmm. But the main thing I want you to take away, state dependent is like when when we were talking about the drugs that affect your brain. Um, So when it says here, like something learned in one state is more easily recalled when in that state again, it gives the examples of like ha- the slides too of like happy, sad. But I want you to think for state dependent about the like drug induced or chemical induced feeling. So the example here when we learned about alcohol, something done while intoxicated, you might not remember until you are back to that intoxicated state. Um, so that is state dependent.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, mood congruent is when your mood influences what you remember. So if you're in a bad mood and somebody asks you, um, like what, what happened when you were at Disney World the other week, you're like, oh, it was terrible. It was so hot down there. Hated it. Whereas if you were in a good mood, when somebody asked you, you'd be like, oh my gosh, it was the most magical place on earth. So... (laughs) <laughs> it all depends. Your mood depends on how you remember things. Yes.
0: And then finally, mood dependent uh, related to perception. So your present mood affects how you remember uh, certain events. So basically, mood can color our memories. If you have seen um, Inside Out, it's like when sad touches the happy memory in something that was sad or that was happy, rather. When she thinks about it, when she's sad, becomes really sad. Um, if you haven't seen it, it Inside Out. First of all, you should, and second, uh, that's that's really what it is: is uh, a memory can be changed based off of the mood that you are currently in.
1: So maybe my Disneyland example is better for this one. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So then maybe another example for mood congruent is emotions becoming those retrieval cues um so when you are sad you remember sad events so like i am really happy right now so i'm going to remember all of these other really happy things that have happened to me so see even we get confused mm-hmm. yeah so mood congruent mood dependent take a look at those take a look at those <laughs> yeah okay so we're gonna take just a second Quick second, uh, and then we're going to go into forgetting um, and maybe thinking as well and start to finish this out. Season? Okay, forgetting. Who forgot everything during winter break?
0: I would go with everyone. Yes. It's going to be my guess. Yes, I agree. So remember that forgetting is a good thing. Um, If we don't forget, then it interferes with our ability to learn new information and it affects our abstract thinking. Mm -hmm. So forgetting can happen at different places, including in encoding, Mm -hmm. while it's in long-term memory and
1: retrieval. Right. So we're going to talk about encoding failures first. Basically... um, if you don't encode something, then it can't be recalled. Right. Um, And if you code encode something incorrectly, then it's going to be stored incorrectly. So instead of saying like practice or yeah, practice makes perfect, perfect practice makes perfect because if you practice something wrong, then you're going to remember it wrong. So -hmm. if you practice something perfectly, then you'll remember it perfectly. So there I you go an encoding failure. We do encoding failures a lot with the Mandela effect. I don't know why I was saying mandala, like no reason why. Absolutely none. I just I just choose it's to because gonna... <laughs> I encoded it wrong. You encoded I just, it wrong I continue to say it wrong and I never corrected myself and I just kept doing it. So anyway.
0: <laughs> Here, we Here we are. So uh storage decay, even if encoded properly, we can still forget. Unused information decays over time. Same thing as if you don't use it, you lose it. So Mm -hmm. if you don't study uh, your Spanish every day, you're not going to be able to study Spanish. If you haven't played your guitar in five years probably
1: gonna forget it it's gonna be really hard and yep. there's a, i know how did you say this ebbinghaus okay i did too ebbinghaus because he's very german hoss like Haas. you gotta get yeah okay then, the throat. Uh, the Ebinghaus... sure that sounds great sure. <laughs> you're welcome the ebbinghaus forgetting <laughs> yes, curve that he created um basically said that you can't like Once you forget something, you only forget up to like a certain point, essentially. So for example, um, I took an obscene amount of Spanish in college and I am not fluent in Spanish because when I was taking it, I did really well. I could probably, you know, hold a conversation with an elementary school or sometimes an adult if they were really kind to me. Um, But after not using it for a year, I could only really go into basic conversation. And when I mean basic, I mean like with a toddler um, Mm -hmm. or early elementary school. Um, And now that I haven't taken Spanish in, I don't know, six years, however long it's been, I can still remember that same amount of information. I can still have a conversation. Well, now my nephew's like six years old, but I can still have a simple conversation with him in Spanish if I wanted to. Um, so you don't really forget everything all at once. It's a quick decline in forgetting, and then it just kind of like levels off after a while.
0: The retrieval failure can happen. This is the tip of the tongue phenomenon. When you think about, there's just not enough information available to access it, but you know, it's right there. Um, there's a really great analogy that we talked about with Um, the different kinds of forgetting compared to if it's a library book. Uh, So I would highly recommend looking back at that if that was helpful to you. Mm -hmm. We also have um, interference or negative transfer. And this is when information blocks other information. And we have two types of this. I feel like describing the proactive and retroactive interference is a better way than just saying information blocks information
1: um so proactive interference is when older information disrupts later information so for example um now these examples are really hard because they've never really had to do any of these things. password oh yes okay that's a good what one. i thought um except for they don't have to change their school password what i know I, I learned that, too, because I asked them the same thing.
0: Okay, then my students, Ms. Snyder's students, lied because they told me they did.
1: Yeah, you no, know, mine told me that they didn't, unless mine lied <sighs> to me. So somebody, y'all are liars. Um, <laughs> but so an example would be um, if you were, oh, if you moved recently and you were trying to learn your new address, but you kept remembering your old address instead. I know I had trouble with that when I moved recently. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's an example of proactive interference. I like to think of it like you're trying to be proactive and learn something new, but that uh, old information is disrupting that. I like that. Retroactive
0: retroactive information is when newer information disrupts older information. Example of this, if like college Arabic makes remembering high school Spanish difficult. So if you switched, maybe you don't remember or you haven't experienced college yet, but you switched languages from middle school to high school. Maybe your French is interfering with um, what you learned in Spanish in middle school or the other way around. Uh, It's just new learning, disrupting, or recalling old information and retro is like old. Mm -hmm. So that old information is getting
1: harder. Harder, Yeah, I like it. Um, Positive transfer is when old information actually helps you learn new information. So it's like positive to have that old information there. I think about this with like math class, you have to learn the basics of math in order to understand more complex calculations and formulas. So having that that prior knowledge, that foundation in math is going to be really helpful. And that's called positive transfer. Oh, and then amnesia. Amnesia.
0: So we talked about three different kinds of amnesia, retrograde amnesia, which is information acquired before the trauma. Again, old
1: information, retro. I just thought of that right now. So you said that, so thank you.
0: There we go. (laughs) Old information before the trauma and Okay, how did you say that? Antigrade. Antigrade? Yeah. Okay, that's what I said. Mm-hmm. Antigrade amnesia is information presented after the trauma, so you're unable to make new memories. Anter is after. That's like the, that Latin oh, verb. I like it. I think I like if it. I'm wrong, forget Just that. Just go <laughs> with it. Just go with it. Confidence is key. Source amnesia, I feel like this is the one that most people deal with on a frequent basis. Attributing an experience to the wrong source so this is like someone tells you to watch a TV show, and three weeks later, you're like, oh my gosh, uh, you should totally watch this, forgetting that they're the ones that recommended it to you. Um, or any situation like that, you forget where the story came from. Or any
1: situation where somebody tells you the same story multiple times because they didn't realize that they told you.
0: This feels pointed, but I don't know. Not at you. <laughs>
1: at one of our call a few of our calls. I'm sure you can guess who some of them are. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, memory construction, I don't know if we can get through this. Oh, yeah, we can get through this really. Quickly. Yeah, memory construction. This begins at encoding. If you encode something incorrectly, it's going to be stored incorrectly. And then you can encode. Um, or yeah, I guess it's just stored incorrectly. Um, and This can lead to missing information. If you're trying to like remember something and you kind of have holes in that story and that memory and you're trying to fill in the blanks, um, you will maybe fill in those blanks with different assumptions that you might have um, or schemas or things like that. So that new memory that you're kind of like making up to fill in the blanks, that's what's gonna be encoded. Um, and then memory construction retrieval.
0: Yeah. So memories can be altered during retrieval again, filling in missing information with Mm -hmm. assumptions. And this is where we looked at the misinformation effect or eyewitness information effect. And this is, uh, when incorporate incorporating misleading information into one's memory of, of events happens causes our distortion of memories so then anytime we try and retrieve them that distorted version comes out it's difficult to tell real from misinformation so people are not trying to lie they believe that this happened but because of that misinformation effect um it's unclear what the real version is and what is false exactly
1: um and then distortion is that last kind of memory construction. Um, so we talked about distortion with Elizabeth Loftus. Loftus? Loftus Elizabeth? I
0: said Lizzie, Loftus. Loftus. Lizzie.
1: Lizzie L. Love it. who she is. And she studied the eyewitness memories and misinformation effect. And... Um, We use the example of talking about a car crash, using and changing the verbs to ask the same question, but using different verbs is going to change people's answers and their response to how fast a car is going. Um, So that is just a really good example of the misinformation effect. So we're going to take another break. We're going to let this bell ring and then we'll talk about thinking um, and we'll see you. See you then. Hey everybody, this is Mrs. Navidad. We're actually going to end this episode here so that it's not a super long episode. This is just a really long unit. So we're going to end things here and we're going to post a second episode continuing on the topic of unit five, cognitive um, learning or cognitive psychology. So in this next episode... That's where we're going to talk about thinking and intelligence and also language. Ms. Snyder and I aren't able to do it together, so we're going to tag team them. Um, So it might sound a little bit different, but that's what our plan is going to be. Instead of giving you an hour long episode, we're just going to break it into two more manageable chunks. So it's kind of like chunking. Look at that. Wow. Using psychology terms. Love that for us. Anyway. We'll see you in that next episode. Hopefully um, that makes things more manageable for you as well. And uh, yeah, see y'all later. Bye.